Well, my name is Luba, and I am married to Joshua Sarita, who isn't here tonight. He's at home sick. But, um, so yeah, I was born in, uh, in Siberia, Russia, in a little town called Chikamun. Um, my parents and siblings came to America when I was about three years old. I have four brothers and two sisters. I was raised in a very legalistic, conservative Russian Baptist church slash community. And uh, just throughout my childhood, I knew the gospel, but I straight up rejected it. I knew I was a sinner, but I hated religion, church, and the Russian community. I even prayed to God, like, God, can you just stop being God and stop us pretending church? So, yeah, he did not answer that prayer, which is good. <laughs> I was probably the best poser ever growing up uh, in my church. I pretended to be a Christian, and it's a lot more work than I realized. I went down the aisle during altar calls because the music was just way too sad, and you were pressured or you felt guilted to do it. So repentance was always based on feelings, but there was no fruit. You never... Yeah, bore fruit. Um, I was always... I always made sure I looked put together, wearing the most stylish clothes, best makeup, new hairstyles, and you have to wear flats. No, if you didn't wear heels to church, you were looked down upon. So the women had to wear skirts and dresses, married women had to wear head coverings, the men had to wear suits and ties. It, if you didn't, you, you were really judged. So there were a lot of uh, man-made-up rules that were just so tiring to obey. Everybody judged each other, gossiped behind each other's back, and it led a lot of people away from, from faith. But I made sure nobody knew that I, I was a sinner, and I didn't want to open up to anybody uh, about what was deep inside my heart. I didn't want people to know that I gossiped about the girl. I was just giving a hug or loving. Uh, I lied in ways I fooled myself to believing my own lies. I made sure people were jealous of me. I said and thought about filthy words. I lusted. I hated my neighbor. I was an expert at people-pleasing. Uh, there were many times I disobeyed my parents. And multiple times where I was very self-conscious because I was looking at the media more than the truth. And there were moments I was just very kind of like depressed. Um, I dated atheists, self-proclaimed atheists. So you can see just me completely denying Christ. Uh, I was probably the worst self-righteous sinner on this earth. And this false Christianity was really hard to keep up with. But I was determined to make sure nobody knew I was a sinner. Though I grew up in a Christian home, and my parents did a good job, but I, I just doubted God and my faith because my priorities were so purposeless, and they were blinded by the, the, the church that we attended. But about seven years ago, my family and I um, separated from this Russian church because there are just many uh, issues that arose during that time. And so during that process of not having a home church, um, my friend invited me to an American youth service. Uh, she was on my lacrosse team in 11th grade. And my first night there, well, the, the sermon and the preaching was all in English, so I was, like, mind-blown because I grew up in a Russian-speaking community. And so uh, 
Russian biblical language is a lot different and a lot harder to comprehend. So um, I was, I had a revelation, I guess, um, with God's word, but um, I still struggled understanding the reason and purpose of faith in Christ. Uh, but eventually, I went to a conference with this youth, and it was like a week long in Kentucky. And there was a guy uh, named Derwin Gray, and he preached about doubt, because I struggled with doubt. And um, I just struggled that with the idea of a holy, perfect man dying for me while I still went on sinning. And uh, forgiveness was a foreign concept to me. But doubt, in reality, was my friend. I started to read, I started to search, and actually pray. So the last night at the conference, I couldn't stop the urge to deny Christ, but in fact, accept him. Uh, I accepted the Lord and repented and allowed him to be in my life. Uh, things were open to me. I made so many connections from the past. Um, I knew I needed Christ to save me from myself because I was stuck in a world all about me. Uh, Christ-centered living gave me purpose and direction to my actions, thoughts, and words. So the cross gave me freedom to admit my sin and just lead me to repent. Later that month, I got baptized. But after giving my life to Christ, I didn't know that it was going to be tough. And so I had lots of highs and lows after that. But I, um, the more I got to know who God is, the more I have been finding joy with changes and the challenges um, that he has allowed in my life. And I just prayed that my radical faith and love for Christ would be an example for others, and humbly I know it has, especially for my family, because, well, my parents grew up in a very legalistic worldview, so that was quite a journey. Um, I got baptized with 1 Timothy 4.12, which I encourage you guys tonight. It's, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So I am really encouraged by your guys' faith and love for Christ. And I was so anxious to share my testimony, but I thought about you, Emmy, and I was like, she, she did it, I can do it. So um, I know that I am a sinner saved by grace who still struggles with every sin that I mentioned, but I pray and I know that because of Christ's blood, I am renewed and made clean. And I continue to pray that all of you guys surrender your lives to Christ as I continue to do. All right, guys, thank you. Yeah, I can do that. Okay. So um, one of the things, there's many things I love about CD. One of the things that I've loved watching him ask people over the years is how you share the gospel in other languages. And even though we don't know what Luba's about to say, I mean, we'll, we'll translate it, but, but we don't know what she's saying in Russian that God knows. And that the gospel goes forward to the nations in all these different languages. So I asked her uh, if she could say just that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Thank you, Luba. Yeah, you're welcome. What I love, there's two things I love about what Luba said. One, the way God helped her to see that all that stuff inside had to come out. That, that temptation to, I can't talk about what's in here. And she was in that place for a really long time. And yet that, that need to deal with it, to say, I, I'm a mess. I, I'm not this put together person. I, I need help. And so just God's kindness to do that. I can relate to that. That just uh, the mess inside 
and thinking people couldn't be able to relate, or they wouldn't be able to help me, or just what it would say about me. And so I think if you're in that place of just there's, there's stuff going on, talk to your parents, talk to your pastors. We want to be there for you. And the other thing she said, said there at the end, you know, just of, of Emmy being an encouragement to her and that, you know, if Emmy can do it, I can too. That, that really is a biblical concept of us encouraging one another. And we've really heard this theme lately in the baptisms and uh, at church with different people's testimonies of just friends in high school who reached out to me. So her friend on the lacrosse team, you said, inviting her out. God is putting you in places to share the gospel with those people in your life. You know, and so we, God is sovereign. God's plans are perfect. But just thinking through, what if, what if that girl didn't invite her? How would things been different? But his perfect plan was, uh, and I'm sure it was maybe nerve-wracking for that girl to go up to Luba that day. Maybe Luba had been on her heart for a while. Maybe Luba wasn't as good at hiding it as maybe she thought she was. And this girl felt burdened for her. She stepped out and she invited her. And look at what God did. I, I recently had the opportunity to encourage the woman that invited my wife to a place very similar where Kelly heard the gospel and God saved her. It's an incredible thing to be able to thank someone for saving, by being used by God to, to have your wife come to a saving so may we be encouraged by Leva's testimony. If you have your Bibles, I want to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you're taking notes, our title of the message is Entrusted with the Word of God. And we're going to be in two passages tonight, 2 Timothy 3 and Psalm 119. So just to kind of prepare you. The topic is entrusted with the Word of God. So I'm going to begin with a question. See, um, teens, if you know, you know this answer. Of parents of young kids can officially tell, or maybe unofficially tell, when their baby becomes a toddler, when that child starts using a certain word. Does anyone know what that word is? And I'll give you a hint. It's not the word no. Kids can, they learn no much earlier than even the toddler years. What word do kids start to use that you unofficially know they are no longer a baby, they're a toddler? Why? That's right. Why? They're asking for things and yes and no is no longer sufficient. Why? Um... Malin and Salem play field hockey, and they play over here, and we live just across the street, so we, we walk to field hockey, and I had like six things in my arms the other day, and Catherine said, hold me please, and I said, I, I, said, I can't, and she goes, why? I said, because I got like 6,000 things in my hand, and she goes, okay, and we keep walking, and, and she'll do that with the older ones, you know, the older siblings, we're just, where are we going? You know, and they'll answer it, Why? And then they'll answer that, why? You know, so I mean, they, she was like, I think Anderson today was like, because of the sovereignty of God? Like he had run out of things to say. I'm like, yeah, there we go, sovereignty of God. Um, toddlers have, have a great desire to understand the world around them. That's a gift uh, placed there by God. 
As humans, God has created in us a unique desire to ask why. Jellyfish don't ask why. Birds don't ask why. Vultures don't descend on a piece of roadkill and first stop and say, how do you think this roadkill got here? You think a truck hit it? Maybe it was an SUV? No, they just look at each other and then dive in. An animal at the zoo has never looked up at a person and asked, so why did you come to the zoo today? Is today your day off? Any animals that you're really looking forward to seeing? Right? They don't do that. Humans are unique in that we want to know things. We want to know how they work. We want to know uh, the answers to our questions. Um, and that's not just something little kids do. It's not something that toddlers do and then you never ask questions ever again. You, you all know that. Teens, you know that. As we grow, as we get older, uh, as we become teenagers, we are continued uh, to be filled with with deeper questions, better questions, more important questions. Questions not just about the world, but questions about us. I still remember, remember thinking as a teenager, kind of, who am I? You know, what kind of person am I? I uh, the, uh, the lunchroom had tables kind of filled with the cliques. I remember thinking, well, which one am I? You know, I didn't really feel like I connected to any of them, or maybe in some ways I felt connected to all of them. So I, I would eat with the skaters some days, and then the jocks other days, and then the, the band guys the other days, and I would kind of work my way around the room and just wonder, like, something was enjoyable about that, but there, it left me with, but which one am I? You know, maybe you're asking, you know, am I more into sports, or am I more into music, or am I more into the arts, what, what subjects uh, do I want to give my, my time to? Or, you know, what type of people do I want to be uh, my best friends? What type of career, vocation, what, what I want to do with my life? And then there's the, there's the biggest questions, right? There's the, what is the point of this? Okay, I'm here. I ended up here. How did I get here? What is the point of my life? What is worthy of my life and my time and my resources? And what's a waste of all of that? How can I find true happiness, true joy, true peace? Is God real? If so, what is He like? And if He's real, do I have a relationship with Him? What is true and what is not? Teens, one of the most important things that I want to say to you tonight is that it is not wrong to ask questions. It is not wrong to have them. It is not wrong to pursue them. If this is a time in your life when you're asking a lot of questions, like some of the ones I put forward or maybe other ones, God is not bothered by you. As a parent, an imperfect parent, I can be impatient when my kids are asking, why, 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 why? God is not impatient. God is a loving, faithful, perfect father. Never bothered by your questions. Even the parent, when, when they have the child who's asking why over and over again, what you actually ultimately know, which is good, is that they're, they're developing. Their, their brains are developing. They are getting outside of themselves. These questions are good because they're engaging the world. And in the same way, it is a good thing when a teenager is asking deep questions and genuinely desires to know the answer. 
God's not bothered by your questions. He, he wants you to ask them. As a parent, as a pastor, I would far rather have my own teenagers and for Crossfire to be filled with teenagers that are wrestling through different questions rather than being apathetic and not caring. Does that make sense? I'd rather have the Crossfire ministry be known as a ministry full of people asking good questions about themselves, about the culture, about, about the Lord. I'd rather have that than a group of kids who just, okay, whatever you're saying, whatever you want me to believe, mom and dad, whatever you want me to believe, I'll believe that. I say to my kids all the time, I don't want you to believe what I believe simply because I believe it. I want you to believe it because I believe it's in God's word, but I don't want you to believe it just because I say it. I have one child in particular constantly asking outstanding questions, and my job is for them to know I'm not bothered. Because they're engaging with the word. They're engaging with the world. So God's not bothered. If you have them, I know that feeling of the, of the agitation of the soul, of the wrestling through that. I know that's hard, but it's a good place to be. And think about it. You're a teenager. It's not a surprise that you should have a lot of questions. You have been around for a very short period of time. And yet a lot of information and a lot of experience has come at you. And if that's not enough... Hopefully you've done this. You look forward and you realize very very soon, very shortly, you're going to be called an adult and people are going to expect you to make big decisions. If you don't ask questions, again, I'd be concerned for you. You're old enough to experience a lot of life and yet young enough to not know all the answers. So it's good to ask questions. God has wired us to ask questions. But there is one question that stands over the most important questions in this life. One question that will impact the direction of your life. One question that will impact if you find the answers, the right answers to those questions. And a question that will determine the spiritual health of your soul. So if you have your notes, I want you to write it down. Here's the question that looms over the other questions. And really, whether you write it down tonight or not, I pray that it's a question you constantly and consistently are asking, and parents, to you as well, the rest of our lives. Where do I go to have my questions answered? Where do I go specifically to have my questions answered about God, about myself, and about this life. Where do I go? Okay, I have the questions, and that's a good thing, but we're only kind of halfway home at that point. Where do I go to find the answer? I think there are six options. I'm going to race through these. So, point number one here is our questions. Our questions. I think there's six places. Okay, I have questions about myself. Who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Who's God? What is true? Uh, what, why am I in this world? What is this world? I think there's six options. One, we try to answer them ourselves. I think this was a little, little bit of what Luba was talking about. That kind of self-righteous, self-sustaining. I know some of the things I'm seeing are not good, and so uh, we try to answer them ourselves. Which think about that, teens. Isn't that a weird thing to try to answer the question you asked? 
Like you were asking the question. So the odds of you knowing the answer since you were the one asking the question might not make the most sense. But I think we can often, not always, but I think we often uh, do this as a result of pride. The arrogance to think, I can figure this out in my own strength. I don't need other people. Or the, the, the arrogance of embarrassment to admit that I don't know something. Or that I struggle. Or that I'm a mess. So one, I think we try to answer them ourselves. We'll figure it, I'll figure this out. Two, we believe what our peers tell us. Okay, what, what do these people who are my age, what are they saying? So one, we can seek to answer it. Two, peers, what do people my age tell me about these things? Which could be good or could be bad, depending on which peers we're listening to. Three, we ask our parents to answer them. No, 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 dad, they'll know. And so we go to the parents. And, and this can be a good thing, right? If you have Christian parents, that's a good gift from the Lord. If they love the gospel, if they love the word, that's a gift to you. But your parents will not always be around. And there are times in your life when you're not near them. And so your parents are a blessing, but you can't depend on them in the ultimate sense. Because there'll be times and places and seasons where they won't be there. Four, we allow the culture to answer our questions. They're loud. You know, our, our culture loudly gives the answers. I guess, you know, maybe they're right. And this is dangerous. We allow books or movies or the internet or music or kind of talking heads in the culture to influence us. This is dangerous because the culture is broken. And they hate the truth. They live in opposition to the truth. And so, just because someone says something loudly, that doesn't make it true. And just because a lot of people believe something, that doesn't mean it's true. Fifth, and I think this might be the most sad, we don't go anywhere. We give up. We, we, we believe that our questions can't be answered. Maybe you've wrestled for a certain amount of time and you just think, there's no answer. I, it would have come by now. I would have figured it out. Somebody would have told me. And, and, or maybe you, you tried one of those other options and you realized it was deficient. And there's just that sadness over that didn't, that wasn't right. And teens, and you know this, but I, I want it by God's grace to be fresh to us tonight. The good news is that we don't have to choose from one of those five options. Because God. Because God. He's not just given us the ability to ask questions. He's not just given us the ability, ability to communicate the question. He has given us, through His Word and Spirit, the ability to listen to Him as He answers our questions. Because the vast majority of you have right grown up in homes with children's storybook Bibles, it, it is tempting to take this news for granted. But we must be amazed by it. We must ask God, make this amazing to me, that the God of the universe is a God who not only speaks, but speaks to us. God speaks. God communicates. God has given us the gift of His Word in part to answer our questions. He is a God who has chosen to communicate with us. He, he could have decided to do that with Adam and Eve in the garden, and then once they rebelled, he could have said, you know what, now I'm done. I, 
I did everything. I chose to communicate. I chose to make this a perfect world, and they rejected me. And in his justice, he could have done that, and yet in his mercy and grace, he continues to speak to sinners. It's incredible. He knows we have que- he knows we have questions about ourselves. He knows we have questions about this world. He he knows we have questions about him, and he wants to communicate with us. He wants to teach us. He wants to answer our questions. And and so we've entitled this year for Crossfire Entrusted. And there is no better place we could start than by being reminded that we have been entrusted by God with His very Word. And here's what I want to do with the rest of our time. I just want to turn on the fire hose. There's times where you just look at one verse of scripture and you just look at it and and get deep down in it and look at the context and then look at all the characters and look at everything that's happening. And there's sometimes where you just have to open up the fire hose and be saturated by uh, a certain topic. I feel like that's tonight when it comes to what the Bible is. Because we might in our minds know that the Bible is the Word of God and it is perfect. And yet we function like it's not. In a moment I'm going to read that the Bible is more valuable than much fine gold. Do I treat it like that in my house? Do I go to it each day like it's more valuable than fine gold? Do I think about it? Do I want to memorize it and apply it? That's where the breakdown can be. It's not just being able to academically talk about the Bible. How is it functioning in your life? And so my hope, my prayer, as we just race through um, 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16, and, and some parts of Psalm 119, is that God gives you a sweet taste of how amazing His Word is, and that it would compel you to move towards it. That if you have questions... If you would admit this is a season of questions, it's a season of struggle, that you would see that there is hope, not in yourself, not in this culture, but in God's Word. So let's read uh, 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 and 16. Paul here is talking to Timothy, and he says, kind of midstream here, he's talking about just the blessing of, of of Timothy's childhood, and he says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, that's scripture, that's God's word, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So point number two, point number one was our questions. Point number two, his answers. Point number two, his answers. And we see here in verse one, two fundamental or major truths about God and about his word. We see first its origin. Where does the Bible come from? Where does the Bible come from? 
It says that it comes from God. All scripture is breathed out by God. God ultimately brought the Bible into existence. If you are holding a Bible tonight, if you have a Bible on your phone, if you have a Bible in your room, you have the Word of God. You right now are touching the Word of God. The Word of God is in your bedroom right now. That's amazing. I know we take it for granted because we have so many copies of it in our country and and for some of us we've just had it around our whole lives. The Word of God? Not the Word of man. The Word of God. All Scripture breathed out by God. John Stott, who is an author and a theologian, he spent his life just um, learning about the Word and learning about Scripture. He says, in one sense... The Bible is written by human authors. That's true. Second Timothy was written by Paul. And yet, it originated in God's mind and was communicated from God's mouth by God's spirit in such a way that the Bible rightly uses the term the word of God because God spoke it. 1 Peter 1.21 Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What a helpful phrase. The human authors of the Bible really did write it down. It was their words on one level, and yet it was also the very words of God um, written down and given to us. We can trust the Bible as true and seek for it uh, to answer our questions because every word of it comes from God. I don't know what person in this world would be just the most amazing person to meet. I don't know. Think about who that would be for you. Who would be the person? Like, I can't ever imagine meeting this person. I heard on the radio coming here, 21 Pilots is coming to Allentown, and they're doing a, a, a kind of a, what's that, like a raffle type of thing, to where if you win, you can meet the band, and they'll give you a signed ukulele, which I thought that was a, a fun instrument to give to somebody. But just, like, I thought, Madeline would go crazy if she heard, like, you won, you can go see 21 Pilots Live. Like, I, I was going to be the good dad and take her there this summer, and then I checked the, the prices, and I'm like, I'm not that good a dad. And uh, I'm like, hey, look, it's on the iPhone still. Let's play it together, right? And, and so just that sense of meeting them and, and getting to talk to them. Who, who is that for you? Maybe it's a, uh, it's a politician or a musician or an athlete. Um, who's that person? Just, I can't imagine meeting them and talking to them. I don't want to be mean. The odds of you ever talking to them are probably slim and none. <laughs> probably never talk to that person. But what I encourage you with is there's someone far better who you can talk to. Someone far better who talks to you. God. The creator of the universe. The king of kings and lord of lords. He talks to us through his word. So we see the Bible is from God, and we see the purpose of it. Look there in verse 15. What is the purpose of the sacred writings? What what can they do? It says, which are able to make you wise for salvation. It teaches us how to be made right with God. And there's nothing more important than being made right with God. There's nothing more important in your life than being made right with God. And the Bible tells us... This is how we can be made right with God. This is how we can be saved. This is how you can be God's son or daughter and not his enemy. 
that the Bible is a handbook for salvation. Its overall purpose is not about science or geography or mathematics, although those topics are in it. There is one glorious, redemptive storyline to the Bible. And that is how God saves lost sinners like you and me. I I didn't realize that when I was your age. I saw the Old Testament as this terrifyingly unfamiliar uh, thing that seemed so disconnected from anything in the New Testament. And nobody in my church was talking about the Old Testament. So that made it even more scary. And so every so often you look at Genesis 1 or you look at Noah's Ark. I mean, kind of these familiar passages. But just, it was just this, is that part of Christianity? Is that part of the Bible? Does it hold together? And when we realize... Yes, there is one glorious, redemptive storyline. And it's what has been helpfully said, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. That's the storyline of the Bible. The creation, that God made all things and he made them good. God is one. God exists and he created all things by the word of his mouth. But we as humanity fell. We rejected God. We ran away from God. We didn't believe God. We had questions. Adam and Eve had a question. And Satan said one thing and God said another. And they said, you know what, that's Satan, God. Let's go with him. And they fell, and they became enemies of God. But God redeemed. So creation, fall, redemption, God in love, sent His own Son into a rebellious world. Into a world that hated Him. And He lived the perfect life you failed to live. And He died on the cross. God died on a cross to take our sins. And then three days later, He rose from the grave, defeating death. And then this consummation, this is what we look forward to. This is what we sung about, that, that thousand years and forevermore. Jesus is going to return. And He's going to gather all who have repented and trusted in Him as Lord and Savior. And He's going to establish the new heavens and the new earth. And he's going to cast out all who stay in their rejection. He's going to cast out all who do not repent and trust in him. And so that's the Bible. We see this glorious, redemptive line, this redemptive story of creation, fall, redemption, consummation. That you might be saved. That you might spend eternity with God and not eternity separated from him. We also see here that that the word is profitable. We see it's profitable. I'm I'm again just going to race through these. And I I pray that as we just turn the fire hose on and we see this truth, that it would encourage us. So look at verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. The Bible's profitable. If you don't believe that tonight, I want you to look at God's word. It says, God says, my word is profitable. Profitable. It's worthy of you being in daily. It's worthy of your memorization. It is worthy of you spending the whole rest of your life saturated in it. I don't read the Bible because I have to. I don't read the Bible so God loves me more. I need the Bible. I was talking to one of the parents when you guys were doing the game and we were just... uh, In agreement that just the daily struggles of this life. And we need God daily. When when I'm not in the Word for days and weeks and months, 
What I'm saying is, I don't believe the Bible's profitable. I don't believe I need it. I need it. You need it. And it's profitable, and it goes into detail. It's profitable for teaching. You need taught. You have not arrived. Our oldest Crossfire kids, you might be getting close to moving on out of high school and out of Crossfire. You have not arrived. I certainly have not arrived. Mr. Edward has not arrived. We need God to teach us. And the reality is, not only am I academically not there yet, my, my flesh fights against me. So it's the things I know I need to be reminded of again. How many times has God's Word said something, and, oh, that's right. You know, I, I wasn't living like that was true. I was living like living like it was a lie, or, or just forgetting it. You know, is God really good? Is God really for me? Is, are, are all things working together for my good? And that can be a daily fight in my life. And the Word teaches me, yes, Ben. Yes, Ben, God is good. And God loves you. And yes, all things work together for good for those who love Him. Romans 8, 28. So it teaches us. And we also see here that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof. Reproof means providing conviction that is necessary for our repentance and faith. The Bible tells you you're not good enough. The Bible tells you that you need a Savior, and that's a gift. I remember the first time I read Romans 3. No one is good. No one seeks God. I was sharing that with a new person in the church recently, and I said it was like God lovingly punched me in the face. And that's strong language, but my point is that I was so self-righteous. I just thought I was such a great guy. I was better than those other kids who never went to church. You know, I, I went to church, and I liked going to church. I, I stayed early and, and stayed late because my dad was serving, and I never complained. And I was just this, I'm good enough, I'm good enough. And Romans 3 says, no, you're not. Romans 3 was a gift to me, even though it said something hard. Mr. Edder had an illustration recently about the GPS, and when you know the GPS is wrong and you're right, and it keeps telling you to go a certain way, but you know it's wrong. I want to flip that one tonight. The Bible often goes the other direction. The Bible often, not often, the Bible is always right, and you and me want to go a different direction sometimes, and the temptation is to shut it off. Right, the, the GPS system, if you're going the wrong way, and it says to you, turn around. Turn around. Hey, are you listening? Do I need to change my accents here? I have that feature. Turn around. That's not it being annoying. If you're going the wrong direction, and the GPS says turn around, that's a gift to you, because you're going the wrong direction. And when the Bible tells you you're going the wrong direction, that is a gift of God to you. It's profitable for reproof. It's a gift for you to understand that you're a sinner and that you need to repent and trust in Christ. And tonight, if you've not done that, we would plead for you to do that. We would plead for you to repent and trust in Christ. That's what the Bible says. No one seeks after God. No one is good enough. But the good news is that Christ comes and saves. He saves to the uttermost. 
What that means is that there's no one that he can't reach. There's no one that he's not powerful enough to save. There was a guy that came uh, to church on Sunday. He comes up to me and he goes, do I have to say any special words to be saved? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, I realize I'm a sinner. And he shared a little bit about his background. He goes, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize that Jesus is the only way I can save or repent and trust in him. Do I have to say some formulaic words? Do do I have to go somewhere? Do I have to say it to you? And I said, oh man, that's the great thing about God and the gospel. I said, God is everywhere. And you can talk to him. And if you simply genuinely say, God, I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me? God, I'm a mess. Would you save me? There's no magical words. It's God, please forgive me a sinner. And I shared with him that 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 sinner said, oh, just to be merciful to me, a sinner. And how he beat his chest. It's the good news of the gospel. Is that if we just admit and repent and turn to Christ, we can be saved. And God's word tells us we need to be saved. It's profitable for correction. Correction is like that encouragement along the way. The correction is, I'm a Christian, and yet I'm a forgetful Christian. And you and I are forgetful Christians. And so correction is that reminder, reminder, reminder that, that no, this is the path. This is, the, this is following Christ. This is what it looks like to fix our eyes on Him. This is what it means to remember the gospel. Training in righteousness. That last phrase, training in righteousness, means... Teaching us how to be a Christian. This is a big one. The Bible's not just for unbelievers. If you're here tonight, well, you know, thanks, Mr. Ross, for the gospel appeal there. Thanks for the call to repent and believe. I've done that. Wonderful. Praise God. Now we follow Christ together. Now we're disciples, forgiven. He's got us. He's not letting go. But we now participate in following Christ. And I need the Bible to teach me how to be a Christian. The Bible teaches me how to be a husband and a Christian, to be a father and a Christian. Young ladies, moms, wives, it teaches you how to be a godly woman. And so there's this day in, day out. I just, uh, more and more as time has gone on, I want to view the Bible just like Jesus is is discipling me and, and, and leading me down the path, just like Peter. It's not any different. I, I'm a disciple as much as Peter was. I need to be instructed and cared for by God, just like Peter. Turn to Psalm 119. So 2 Timothy teaches us that the Word of God is our authority. It's our authority. Authority is a gift. Authority is a good word. We're all under authority to something. We're, we're all following something. You're either following yourself tonight, which that's terrifying. You're following the world tonight. That's not much better. You're following your peers. I'm not sure you should do that at this point in your life. Or you're following God. So everyone's under authority. The question tonight is, whose authority are you under? Authority is a blessing. 
And Psalm 119 talks about how the word is not just authoritative, but valuable. It's, I am going to literally just hit... Uh, Psalm 19 is, a, well, I think it's 176 verses, so we're not scratching the surface tonight. But what I want to do is just hit verse, and then this is what it does. Verse, and this is what it does. And, and my hope, as we think about the Bible, and as the Bible talks to us about itself, it would encourage you to move towards it. To move towards it in your questions, to move towards it in your walk with Christ, to move towards it in just being cared for. So, for the faint of heart, let's do this. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Being a teenage boy is a war. It is challenging. It is filled with temptations. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. The word of God protects us. Do you want to be protected, young man? Stay close to the word of God. In the armor that God gives us, in that beautiful imagery, there is only one offensive weapon. And it's the word. The word is the sword. And the word is to be used as a sword. That when the world comes at us, and when my flesh comes at me, I fight it with the word. Verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. God's word gives us life. Are you low this afternoon, this evening? Have you been in a season of lowness? Would you say that maybe it even feels like depression? It can feel overwhelming. The Word gives us life. Verse 28. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your Word. I love that God's Word makes clear there are seasons and days and moments and hours and minutes when we feel sorrowful. If you feel low, if you feel sorrowful, if you are hurting, that is not inherently sinful. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. If you feel low, I would encourage you to read the Bible. Not so, if you read your Bible, God will love you and now you'll not feel sorrow, sorrowful anymore. That's not what I'm saying. When you read the Bible, you're reminded of God. This is who God is. This is what God has done. This is what God promises to do, And I'm, I'm not saying it just didn't, all goes away, but oh, there are many times when I feel low and I read the word. And it's not, I'm not all out of it, and I'm not completely out of the pit. But there are times where, oh Lord, thank you for your grace. Reminders of his love. Reminders of his grace. Reminders of his power. Verse 37. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Are you fearful, teen, of wasting your life? As a teen, I was fearful of wasting my life. I didn't want to waste it. I have one life to live. I don't want to waste it for, for things that are worthless. Is that your fear? Go to the Word. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord. We are reminded of God's love. 
Verse 50, this is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. We are afflicted, and teens, you know this, you will be afflicted. Maybe you're in a season of affliction. Maybe you were in a season of affliction. God's, God's word and the promises of his word give us life. How sorry, how sad it is to be a Christian going through trials and not going to the word of God. To have the word of God right there, the word that promises to give life and not to open it up. To feel affliction and to run to the world or to run to vain pursuits when you have God there who wants to comfort you and care for you. Verse 77. Let your mercy come to me that I may live. For your law is my delight. There is Mercy that God gives as we ponder His Word. Verse 105, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Are you fearful, team, of the, of the big decisions to come? The next steps, the, should I go to college? Should I not go to college? Which college should I go to? It could be any number of questions. Well, I know for sure is God's not going to give you all the answers for the rest of your life in one day. But I know, what I know is one step, one step, one step. His word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Verse 114. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. God's word is a safe place in a world sadly filled with cruel people. Verse 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Praise God for Psalm verse, verse 113 and Psalm 119. God gives understanding to the simple people like me. You don't have to be a genius to be close to God. You don't have to be a genius to know His Word. Because it's the Spirit that reveals the Word to us. The unfolding of your Word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Let that reverberate in your mind when you're reading Scripture. And it is arduous. It's hard. There's many questions you have. It feels hard to apply. Okay, God, you promise that... The unfolding of your word gives light. And so I'm not going to bail the first time the word is hard. I'm not going to stop reading it the first week that it doesn't feel like fireworks are going off. And then verse 162. I rejoice at your word like one who has great spoil. I rejoice at your word. Like the one who finds great spoil. If any of us were walking home and there was one of those like movie briefcases with like all the money and like unmarked bills and the wrappers and we opened it up and there were thousands and thousands of dollars in there. I think all of us in our own personalities would go crazy. What? Someone dropped off thousands and thousands of dollars for me? I can pay off Annie's college tuition? Are you kidding me? I want a cheap Wrangler real bad. It's probably never going to happen, but I want one real bad. And Anderson, I've made him love 
Wranglers as well, and so every time we see one, it's kind of the color. I don't know about engine parts and stuff, so I'm pretty on the surface color type of tires. You know, the wheels when the uh, the door when the wheels are off. Yeah, that's not that's that's the problem. When the wheels are off. When the doors are off and the hood is down or the, the ceiling is taken off, and they're just cruising. I got my Wrangler money. Let's go, Anderson. There's actually a Jeep dealership on the corner. You see me just running down the street, right? That one. I would be rejoicing in my great spoil. And yet, that is garbage. That is literally trash in comparison to what I already have in the Word of God. The Word of God is better than much fine gold. It is sweeter than honey. We are to rejoice in the Word. Team, if you're not rejoicing in the Word tonight, don't be condemned. Go to God and ask. Not for not for God to make it something it's not, but for you to see what it is. If, if you're not rejoicing in the Word, it's that you can't see it. You, you can't see it for what it is. It's glorious. It's, it's a treasure. It's valuable. It's profitable. Amen. And we want to be in it. And, and, and here's the thing. Sometimes you have to take that step of faith. That it's not going to be, okay, I, oh wow, I feel like it's awesome now. I'm going to start reading. It really comes as you're in it. I didn't love Kelly and then start a relationship with, with her, right? I, as I got to know her, I realized, oh, this, this girl's really cool. I like her. She loved Jesus, and she really served kids well, and oh, I like that about her. And we, we would talk, and, and I'd like her more, and we get more time together. And as we were in the relationship, I loved her more and more and more. And here we are, almost 15 years into the marriage, and I love her more than ever, by God's grace. The Word of God, I think, is like that, where we're kind of like waiting around for something to happen, and I'm not really interested in it, and so I don't go towards it. I think to a far greater degree than, than a person, as we read the Bible and we let it pour over us again and again and again, we find it's amazing. We find it's incredible. Like I said to you, I, I don't read the Bible because I have to. I read the Bible because I get to and I need to. Kevin DeYoung says the most effective means for bolstering our confidence in the Bible is to spend time in the Bible. The most effective means for bolstering our confidence in the Bible is to spend time in it. That would be my charge to you teens. My charge to you parents. If you've not been in the Word, if it's not your authority, you academically know the answers, but it's not, you don't see it as valuable, just take that that first step of, of spending some time tomorrow in it. And praise God that it's not, well, it has to be a book every week or six chapters a day. Just a little bit of, of the Word. And at Girls of Grace, we were just talking about this. Just picking a book of the Bible and working your way through it. And watching God work in your life. This is an important one. This topic is an important one. If God's word, God's word is your authority, if you're submitting your life to the Word, if, if His Word is what drives you and shapes you and molds you, when you have questions and you say, God, what does your Word say? Time doesn't allow to express all of the benefit that comes from that. But when it's not, when God's Word is not your authority, Really, you're your own authority, or the world's your authority. 
When you have questions, and the last place you go is the Bible. Or when you have questions, and you just, eh, I don't really care. Just the, the amount of damage to your soul, long term, long term. You might not see it now. You will see it over 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years. So we need God's grace. We need His help. But we must submit ourselves to it and ask God, God, help me to rejoice in your word. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that the Spirit would do only what the Spirit can do. Lord, we, I can't make these teams. I can't make, make myself love the Word of God. I can't make these teams see the value that it is. I can't make them submit to its authority, Lord. But I simply pray, would you help them to see the gift that it is to them? Would you help them to see that in all their questions, in all their struggles, in all their affliction, in all their sorrow, they can come to you. They can hear you speak. I can hear you speak every day because I read your word. And Lord, we pray that we wouldn't just read it, but that we would be transformed by it. That we would be uplifted by it, Lord. That, it, that you ultimately would, would lead us and direct us and shape us, Lord. Help this group in the decades to follow to be filled with men and women who have asked many questions. We say, God, what do you say about it? Lord, thank you for, for giving us your word and thank you for giving us yourself. Thank you for, for living and for dying for us that we might have hope. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I saw we spend just a few minutes. It's obviously a, a springboard conversation. Uh, spend ten minutes. So nine fifteen, we can jump into games and fellowship and all that. But I just want you to get with your parent or whoever, whatever adult brought you. Uh, some of the some of the guys and gals from the twenty something. So we'll be jumping in as well. So if you don't have a parent or adult that brought you, feel free to grab one of them. But just where's the battle right now? We're all. No one here is. Could like, oh, I perfectly obeyed this message, including myself, obviously. But where's the battle for you? Where where can you be tempted to go other than the word? Where can you be tempted? What can you be tempted to believe uh, about the word that tonight is proven not true? So we all could grow. We don't. I don't want you to spend the time. Well, I, I need to do better. We yeah, We all need to do better. The question is, what's stopping you? From rejoicing in the word. What's stopping you from seeing how valuable it is? And then that other part. So kind of one question, two parts. So the other part there is. And where do you tend to go instead? What is leading you? What is driving you? Okay. So uh, break up into groups. You can grab your chairs. Uh, and spend about ten minutes uh, talking about that.